Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. All right, and welcome back to the House of Mystery. Of course, I'm Al Warren, and Dave Martino is here, and we've got the guest. And the, the newest book, Deadly Tides. It's a Misty Pines mystery, and this is book two of the series. So we're going to talk to the author, Mary Kelly Ikoa. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Alan. Appreciate it. Well, so Mary, it uh, looked like you, know, you haven't been a lifelong writer, right? This is like your second book in the series. Have You, you haven't been writing for like, you know, your whole life. This <laughs> is something that... Uh, you just recently sort of got into, right? Well, no, not no, not necessarily. Um, I actually started writing when I was 27, which was, you know, about 30-some-plus years ago or so. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I actually have another series out, and uh, but I started writing at 27, and I wrote until I was 35, and I stopped for a little bit um, to open a company with my husband, and... We did that for 15 years before I was able to come back to my writing. I turned 50, and I thought, now's about the time to, to do this if I'm going to do this. And so um, I had my first series published, and then and now this is my second series. So, well, so why crime? Like, why crime, murder, and... And and mystery and all that is that something you have a real passion for? Or yeah, well, I spent 18 years in the legal field. Um, that was my day job before I, you know, um, right out of high school. Actually, I was a paralegal, and <laughs> I worked for lawyers. Yes, <laughs> and condolences. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was actually a great, um, you know, playground and a learning ground of, you know, what justice is and and how the system works. 
um, I really found it intriguing. I've always kind of had that lean into, you know, justice and finding out, you know, who did it and that type of thing. So I just, it was just a natural progression into to murder mystery. It's also what I read. I loved Mary Higgins Clark and lots of different crime novelists at the time. And yeah, so it just kind of gravitated towards it. Just kind of what, what felt right. I guess that would be a big advantage too, in a sense, because that, a lot of times uh, crime mystery writers, uh, especially in fiction, they have to go out looking and researching to find out how things go in the legal system. And you, you kind of have the experience of being in it. So, I mean, you kind of, you know a lot of the process, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, I still have uh, police officers that I talk to quite regularly and different people in the industry. My sister's still in the legal field as a paralegal. Um, so I have people I can always chat with. Um, but yeah, I do have a, de- a very general, you know, basic knowledge of it and, and just how it works and the mentality and the personalities that go into it all. So it's been, it's been good to draw from that. Yeah, but talking to police officers when you've been arrested, I don't know if that counts. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, I guess in a way, you know, you're you're getting the real deal there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've tried to stay out of the back seat of those cars. You know, um, I've done pretty well. Yeah. No, I I know I've dealt with a lot too. I've done a lot of true crime books over my years, and so I I know a lot of officers and you know, prosecutors and detectives and stuff like that I've met. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big advantage to know people and to be in it. Yeah, and just not to feel afraid to even ask. I think that's probably, you know, so many people I know are like, who do I ask? And I'm like, you just pick up a phone and you, you just call the, the desk, you know, and you start asking questions. And people are really open to helping you if you're, um, you know, sincere and polite and, you know. But you just yeah. sometimes it's just getting over the own fear of it, of doing something like that. And I just don't have that because I've just worked around people like that, you know, for years. So Yeah, and you've met people. I think there's a real separation as well, especially in the last years, between law enforcement, let's just say, some of the legal side and some, some common people, let's say, just normal people out doing their stuff. It's not... It's not a close relationship, let's say, in a lot of areas. So sometimes that yeah. is probably a little bit of a, a hindrance as well, which is really too bad because most of the time when you're out there and you know police and you know different people in the business, you realize that they're just just people and they're trying to do the right thing and help. Oh, absolutely. They're very, you know, wonderful people. They all have lives and they all want to go home at the end of the day just like the rest of us do. So Yeah, yeah. So I just, it's too bad that there's sort of a, separation there somewhat you know when you write this story so now you're you've got sheriff jacks turner here so when you've got him how do you how do you write that character oh gosh yeah it was different because my first series was a female and so you know i really had to shift shift gears a little bit just even to write a male character um you know i think i really drew a lot upon my history uh, with military men in my life and uh, lawyers and just different men that I've met that are very tenacious and very, you know, just know how to get it done type of personalities. And I just can just pull from that and use that as a lot as the basis and the inspiration for the character. Yeah, it's probably a quite a few different people you've worked and met over the years. It's kind of like a just a amalgamation of them all, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And I worked retail, you know, so the company that my husband and I started was in retail too. And so if that doesn't give you a whole array of personalities on a daily mm. basis, um, you know, that there's just so much to draw from. And and I think, 
as a writer, that's what you do. You just observe and you pull and you just create character from from all of your life experience. Well, can, can you hear Jax can you, in your other characters and even your prose? Or um, do, you, do you have another way? Oh, no, I can hear him. I can hear his voice. I can, I can visualize him uh, very easily. Yeah. And actually, you know, this is kind of one of these asides, you know, I envision Gerard Butler playing the part in a movie someday. And so I oftentimes can really, like, get into that, you know, character of, like, what that would look like. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you his phone number. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he might say no. He's a wild man. You know. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, but when you say you hear, so do you, um, do you have a conversation with, with your character, or how do you actually write the dialogue? Are you sitting there and then they sort of, the characters just sort of do it? Do you see it like a movie, or do you actually tell your characters what to do? Oh, no, I try to listen as much as I can. It, usually if I'm in the scene, I'm, I've kind of stepped into that person's character, and and I'm writing it as I'm typing it it's just kind of like that's what I think this person's going to be saying right here and now like I can just hear his response to things um and and I can hear the other characters responses too because you know I do quite a bit of characters research prior to going in so I know my characters pretty well um what they like what they don't like what their triggers can be um and so you know, that just kind of all just comes through. And I and I am a pantser. Like, I work best with my fingers moving. So I just kind of listen and just type. Does your husband fear you then, hearing these voices? Does he sort of have to, you know, keep you alarmed in case you get up in the middle of the night or something? <laughs> it's funny. He, he usually tells people, well, he tells people a couple of things. He always says, she murders me on the first page, which is not true. But I do not do that. Um, and then I practice all of my, uh, you know, moves on him, you know, like how long does it take for a person to turn blue and things like this. And I, oh, nice. <laughs> and, um, and he's a Hawaiian, so, you know, this is not an easy task. Um, so, yeah, no, he, he likes to tease. But. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I don't, of course. Yeah, just choking him. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Was that how you create your action scenes? Is did you act it out, or is it something more that that you're just going through in your mind? How do you do it? I do both, right? So some stuff seems instinctual. You know, if somebody's coming at you with a fist, you know, you're going to sidestep or you're going to do whatever. Um, some things I've had to act out in a, some of my books. I, you know, I had a character in a in a room that she needed. She was locked in, and how would she get out? And you know, and I'll and. I, and I, a lot of times we'll use my husband on this. I'll say, okay, so we're in the room, and I need to get out of here. So what are some things that I can start doing? And so I'll start visualizing before I write the scene just so I can, you know, get some ideas. Um, but usually it's I just kind of write it, and then I go back and see if it makes sense later. <laughs> and if I have to do the research. Yeah, and, and take him to the hospital, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after the stitches and everything. Yeah, after the stitches, you can... You can eat. Yeah, well, so, well, how do you write the killer then, the bad person, the person that's causing the the big problem or the doing the real evil thing in a book? Yeah. Well, I find what their motivation is, right, because they can't be cardboard cut out. You know, they, they need to have a reason, and they have to have a good side. Um, you know, I always say, you know, their mother loved them, I'm sure, at some point. You know, we all come in as babies, and, you know, so you're always looking for that, human side of them as well um but then you know i they have a very twisted view of the world and that's what i'm playing on right so i don't write senseless killers like a, my killers have to have a reason there has to be some sort of motivation that has led them to where they're at um and so i work just kind of creating that before i start building the story yeah i guess in a way because in order to make them real you sort of have to get into why they think what they're doing is good mm -hmm. or why they think it's important. Because quite often the, the bad guy doesn't think that they're bad. They, they they live in a world where they think they're doing something good, you know? Yeah, or they think, or they're really just acting out. A lot of my characters have um, gone through grief or they're, you know, they're broken in some way. And so they are, you know, looking to heal that part of them, like in, in a really twisted way, right, or to make things right, even though the whole world is like, that's totally wrong. You know, that's not how you make things right at all, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah. but you got to give them, you know, logical motivation, at least logical to them. And, you know, and then send that out through the book, right? You know, have your little things you weave in and, and all of that. Right, right. Now, are you conscious, are you thinking about how you write violence or the bad scenes, or do you kind of stay away from that in the books? Yeah, I don't. I don't do graphic violence at all, um, so I am conscious of that. My, re you know, I always feel like I don't like to read too graphic. 
I like to sleep at night, so you know I don't go too too crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm pretty conscious about not going too bloody or you know too graphic. Yeah, yeah, it's probably it's probably it pro- it's probably better that way. You know, if if you're not comfortable writing it, it's, yeah, it wouldn't come out very good if you were you know. Well, yeah. Doing that. You can turn on the news too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, you want to get depressed, <laughs> turn on the news for twenty minutes and then you'll be back in it. Um well so when you when you put together this book, you you said you're a pantser, so you haven't got this outlined. You haven't got this all decided, okay, this is where it starts, this is where it's gonna go, this is what's gonna happen, and this is how it ends. Or do you? Or is it just completely one as it goes so i knew so in deadly tides in particular i knew that i wanted to have to play with the idea of severed feet um so i knew that part of the book like i want to have severed feet washing ashore in the pacific northwest it's a phenomenon that actually happens and it's intrigued me for a long time so like in that this case i knew that that was the element that i was going to be tying into the book um and so usually i start with that type of you know, inspiration. Um, and then, of course, I know who my characters are. And so, you know, it's really like, well, we've got severed feet. Now where do we go from here? How it ends, um, I never really know for sure until I get to the, about the two-thirds part. I basically know who the killer is usually, though. Um, but usually it could go a couple of directions as well. So I, I kind of surprise myself at the end just like I do. And then, then I have to go back and fix when I do the edits, like, so if I think I know who it is, but I change it, then I just have to go strengthen that a little bit throughout the edits. But it's always all there. So it, right, it works right. for me for some reason. I, I yeah. tried to plot, but it does not work for me. Yeah. Yeah, the, the foot thing is really good because I only have to drop in one every six months in the ocean here. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> In the same vein of, of, of writing about the city of your pants, have your characters ever surprised you while you're writing? Do, do they kind of take the plot off the rails, making it difficult for them, for you yourself, to kind of stay on track with, with getting to that ending that you start to envision? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, you know, not usual. I mean, usually they act pretty good, and like pretty good, uh, pretty normal to their character, you know, Um not too often. I would say in the first book in the series, which actually was inspired by a true event in my hometown, um, the characters at the end kind of surprised. And, you know, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that, that, we'll put that in there because that seems like that would work. And I was a little surprised that we'd gone down that direction. But, um, yeah, it, I mean, at the end, it all kind of works itself out. So occasionally, I, I will say they occasionally they surprise me. But usually, you know, by the time I'm halfway through, I'm kind of I know where I'm going with the book, and so. What you do, I I, I wonder here now. So when you are um, going through your characters and what what they go through, like you know, you're beating up your husband to try different moves, and you're doing all this stuff, and you're going through the murder, and then the afterwards, and whatever else you have to go through, and stuff. When you finish the book, and it's completed and sent to the publisher and stuff like that. Do you look back and do you, do you think living through your characters for the year or however long it took you to write it sort of changed you in any way? I think each book that I write makes me a little bit better writer because I'm becoming deeper into character, which 
I love character-driven novels, so, you know, that, that makes me happy that I'm strengthening. I will say sometimes I look back and I'll read some of my book and I'll be like, well, I don't even hardly remember writing that, but that that's not bad, you know. So I think in, sometimes it gives me more confidence. Every book I write is, you know, adds a little confidence, like I can get it done. Um, as a writer, I think we all kind of hit those walls of like, wow, I don't even know how to write a novel here at this point. <laughs> you know, we all hit brick walls. Um, so it's kind of that satisfaction of, and you know, that I, I know what I'm doing a little bit. So, okay, I think I can do another one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's the ups and downs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you put in a, a subtext? Is there a meaning? Is there something underlying the story? Is there something you want the reader to take away from each of your books when you write them? Well, you know, I think, you know, a lot of my characters are dealing with grief. Um, and I think one of the things that, uh, is that they can, that you can move past it and move through it. I think that tends to be a pervasive theme. Um, it's kind of a life theme for me. So I think I put it in my books. I'm not sure it'll always be in all my books, but I will say that the last two series, my characters, one was dealing with the death of a father, um, in Jax Turner's, case he's dealing with the death of his daughter uh, to leukemia and his marriage to uh, FBI agent Abby Kanakoa. So I think, you know, some of that is one of those things. And I always feel like if one person gets something from that, um, I help somebody and that that's a good day, right? That's that's the highest level of compliment, I think, is if somebody sees something and can move past something for themselves. So... Right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. It's important. It's making changes and representing. I, I you know, and if if someone gives you a bad review, you can always just hunt them down and <laughs> try out some of your moves, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I try not to read the reviews. <laughs> yeah, it's actually probably better, you know, because mm-hmm. it it just kind of it throws you off what you're doing, right? Yeah, it's very subjective too. I mean, one person's gold is another person's, you know, whatever. It's just, yeah. So I think yeah. it's subjective, and you just try to keep doing what you're doing, getting better. Yeah. Keep telling yeah. your stories. Yeah, because I gave up after I, I remember reading a review, and it, they give you a five star, and the next one gave me a one, said it wouldn't pass grade ten English, and you know, yeah. you kind of go, wow. I know. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's so perspective. Perfect. Yes, it's all. Well, it's just it's just like how how it can be complete opposite from two different people, and you're like, wow. So I guess it's it's really about their perspective of where they're at and what they're doing at the time and how they feel or who knows oh absolutely we all view the world through our lens right of our experience so yeah if you're having a bad day and you're reading something that's not you know what you want could be a bad bad review but has nothing to do with you at all so yeah 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 it's more about them so i yeah i pretty much ignore it look at the overall numbers and that's good enough yeah you know yeah better that way i like to read the five stars though i mean you know i i I won't lie that there's a few if i see a five star i'll be like oh okay well oh what they say (laughs) oh sorry i don't i don't even touch it i go to the goodreads or whatever and i'll look and it'll be like the overall you know if there's like a thousand reviews and and if it's a four star overall good enough good enough I like it. Walk away. You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> mean to. Walk away. <laughs> well, you know, but yeah, walk away because that's great. That means out of that many people that actually wrote, you're doing four out of five. And I think I'm a two-star. You know what I mean? Because I look at, and I don't mean that badly. I just mean that there's so many, you know, Hemingway and there's all these great five-star writers. I don't put myself in that category. So if I can get a four. Yeah. My God, you know, that's great. That's right. So like good it. enough. I think I'll adopt yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> you could adopt. 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's just because it's, it's good enough. I don't need to get into that yeah. sort of. So now to, to, this is book two. Um, do you plan on going either even further with this or, are you gonna, you know, the uh, Misty Pines mystery? So are you planning on going several books or is this it? No, I definitely have a third book planned. I'm about 20 pages into that at this point. Um, Killer Tracks is the name of that book. Uh, so definitely a third book. Um, I do have a standalone coming next year with another publisher. So, you know, I am writing other books, other standalones. So I'm kind of juggling a few things. But I love this character. And I grew up at the Oregon coast. So I love, you know, the setting of this book and of the series. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things I think I'll, I will always try to produce a book out of it just because I, of my love of the character and the, and the setting. So we'll see. Yeah. But. Yeah. Trying to juggle a few things at the, at the moment. <laughs> There's one one of me and <laughs> lots of stories in my head. And <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's a balancing act when you're trying to do it all and make it so that one doesn't interfere with the other, right? right. You know. Yes, and keeping it fresh, right? Keeping the stories fresh, the the modes of murder, the characters. You don't want things to start sounding too much alike, and that can happen. I think for me, as I if I'm doing too much at one time, it's you know. Start stealing yeah. ideas from this to do that, and you're like, no, 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 we want to keep this all fresh. <laughs> well, with the series that you write, how do you keep track of uh, continuity? Do you have a series bible? Do you have a system of some sort? Uh, how do you do it? Yeah, so I do a notebook for each book that I'm writing so that I, I keep a lot of that information um, front and center so I can always go back and read it to see, you know, eye color, you know, <laughs> everything really, you know, character. I reread the character sketches to make sure that things, you know, are staying um, true. And then I always read the book right before, um, you know, I start the next project. So, like, in this book, I've been reading Deadly Tides as in preparation to write the third book so that I can keep the tone also going of the series and, and the characters and the relationships. Right. Yeah. And is that what you, when you say keep it fresh and, and doing book to book, are you thinking more about, um, does each book really tackle on your characters and it's more about their change and what they go through and how they develop it through the book? Yeah. Yeah. Is it yeah. kind of more yeah. the angle? Than, yeah. Yeah. Keeping them and their motivations and their responses to things, you know, you want to keep it all moving forward, right? Not, unless you do want to stick them in a particular place but then that's a that's something to be explored as well right that they're that they're stuck and so how do they move out of that yeah yeah no that that yeah there can be plenty of ways to go it's just I, it, because it must be really difficult i know we've had people on like you know you get like james patterson and stuff and and they they have like book 30 you know of a series <laughs> it's like holy cow <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I, you know i i don't want to say you're beating it to death but how do you how can you keep it going, right? That's got to be a, uh, and and uh, you know, with him, he keeps them the same age too, right? So which is I, in some cases, right? Whereas like Connolly ages the people. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's just how you want to do it. You know, it's yeah. Grafton did the same thing with her characters. She just stayed in the eighties and never progressed really much in age. You know, <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I got you know, you can, yeah, I can do it either way. I just, I just think, wow, it's, uh, but you don't want to get in. Do you write in first person then, or how do you, how do you, from what point of view are you writing? Um, I do both. So in uh, 
the Misty Pines is the third is a third person. Um, my first series, the Pruitt series, is a first person. Um, yeah, so I do both. I I like I both I, I like both of them uh, equally well. Really, it's just what feels right for the story, I guess, at the time. Um, and I never yeah. really know for sure until I start the story if I want to be in the head of the character or if I think a little bit more off, you know, a little bit more distant. Yeah. But I like yeah. third person close too. So, you know, you're still kind of writing in that first feeling, but, but in third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. So now does, does each book have to be read in, in order? Like do you have, do you, do you need to do one or can someone just pick up deadly tides and if they like it, go back to book one? Yeah, no, everything is written as a standalone. I always try to add enough information in each of the novels so that if you did just pick up Deadly Tides, you'd get enough of the backstory. Um, although I always say the first book is the place to start, of course, because it really gives you all the history, really dives into all of that. But um, but no, you don't need to if you don't want to. Yeah, no, it's it's important to go through the series if if, if you like the the book that you're reading because then you, you learn about how they got there more and stuff like that. I think it's important. Um, yeah. Well, so now, um, at, at the, at the end of the day here, um, where do you see yourself going? You know, just keeping, keeping the stories flowing, hopefully will continue and, and just continuing to write, uh, more Jacks and more standalones and, I'm not really slowing down. We just uh, sold our company, so I am fully retired, and this is what I do now for my day job. So, uh, and so I'm lucky in that way. I get to write full time, and and that's what I intend to do. So, just get, yeah, keep producing. Oh, so do you, do you actually? Um, can you do it that way? Can you go? Okay, well, Monday to Friday, and sit down, go nine to five, and and just there and turn it on, or do you have to be in a certain frame of mind or certain time or something like that? Well, I'm a morning writer, so I tend to write from like 7 in the morning till about 11 or 12 these days, uh, and then I'm done for the day. And I show up at the same time every day, like habit. Maybe it's from all those years working in law offices or, you know, owning a company. You just, you know, you just show up every day and, and it's the routine. So I take my writing like a business, and so I sit down the same time every day and I do it. I take Sundays off. Um, Saturdays I do, you know, a little bit of editing here and there, but yeah, no, I show up every day. Even if I don't produce a ton of work, at least I'm, at least I'm there. It's the action of being there. And, and, uh, sometimes it's just editing. Sometimes it's fresh writing. Sometimes it's a little marketing, you know, it's, but it's, it's yeah. the business, right? It's I'm there to do whatever yeah. shows up. And you stop at noon so you can have your martini lunches like... That's right. You know, it's, it's called that marriage thing, right? I, I'm one of these obsessive people. I could probably write all day, but, you know, um, I have been married for almost 35 years and want to keep that. So yeah. got to have balance in everything. So I stop at noon and, and we go play. Well, good. I mean, you have to you have to keep living, right? You have you to do. keep doing all yeah. that stuff, right? And that's, and, and where do you get your little characters or your side characters? Do you just sort of go out and... And watch people in a coffee shop and kind of do that, or yeah, that, or just from you know characters that I've enjoyed, you know, like Trudy. Um, like I liked Longmire a lot, and right. Secretary um, Ruby. 
And so, you know, Trudy has a little bit of that, uh, you know, old school, no nonsense sort of thing. Um, so sometimes it's just, an, it's, you grab it from anywhere, really, you know, just from people that kind of speak to you on some level, whether it's in a coffee shop or a show you've watched or whatever. Um, I just kind of pull all of that in and, and, and Jax, of course, needs to be, you know, wrangled every so often. So he needed a character like that and, so I kind of find the right character for the moment or for the scene or for the or the book that needs to happen. Well, I know you have a couple subplots and Deadly Ties. How do you develop your subplots? A lot of times they just kind of develop on their own. You know, they, they just kind of show up as, you know, sometimes they're red herrings that, you know, we need to kind of move through and, and it becomes kind of this thing on its own. Um, so, yeah, I don't, it's very organic. It's. I don't necessarily know what that's going to be when I first start. Yeah. I wish I had a more, you know, fancy answer. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? What? No. So, listen, have you ever killed off someone you know in your book? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. See, this yet. So we've got possibilities here. Always. Any any names you want to name? We can get them on the other line. and. <laughs> I'll take the fifth on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll take the fifth. There you go. Wow, that's interesting. So listen, um, are you doing social media then with your marketing? Do you have a website? How do you like people to find you? Yeah, so marykilleecoa.com uh, is my website, and I have all my links there, but I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram, and uh, Twitter a little bit, but not TikTok. You will not find me on TikTok. <laughs> oh, come on. Get on TikTok. Start dancing and doing stuff. Come on. Have some fun. Uh, Why not? Yeah, I know. But, and, and, live, live on the edge. Yeah, no, that's okay. I just like to put my characters on the edge. I like to stay back a little ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, just get someone that just, just put your dog or cat or go get, you know, an animal and just have them dance and hold your book. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of work. I'd rather be well, writing. That's the sad thing, right? I, <laughs> <laughs> there's only yeah, so many hours in a day. Yeah, that's true. You know, I said, you know, what can I say? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so we'll have all of that up on our website, too, so people can find you with one click. They find you easily and uh, hunt you down and give you a review and, and yes. say what they're going to say <laughs> and stuff like that. And did you uh, – it, it's funny, but do, do you – so do things affect you? Did you – write some of even the first book, I guess, rather than the second one during the pandemic and stuff. And did that sort of affect the way you wrote the book, do you think? Yeah, that's interesting because I I actually was had a series um, debut. My debut was during the pandemic, um, May of 2020. So I was writing this series at the same time um, as I was finishing up the second book in that series. But it didn't really slow me down. And in some ways, uh, our company was um, was one of those essentials. So we kept running our company. So I was still working, and life was actually very much similar to what it was after the pandemic is tight. So it didn't really affect me too much. I just kept to my routine and kept writing. And But, but the weirdness around, you know, the people acting weird and all the issues around surrounding it and the darkness and all the negativity and stuff. Do you think that seeps into the writing when you're writing? Probably to some degree. I mean, yeah, I have 35 employees. I was trying to keep healthy and, you know, so I was kind of juggling a lot of stuff at that during some of that. Um, but yeah, it was, it, 
I think it did probably to some degree. Um, but I yeah. just stayed focused. It was really nice to have something to focus on. I, I feel bad for the people that kind of got put away and locked in and couldn't get out and that feels dark, right? But I was lucky enough to be able to keep a routine and I had employees to manage and um, books to write. So some of it did, I'm sure, but I didn't know. Yeah. I also didn't have time for it in some ways, right? I just kept moving. I think stuff like that will come out. You'll notice it more in your writing maybe in 10 years when you look back, you might see something or notice something. And I think it's something we notice in the future. Yeah, I I think that's very possible. And I'm actually working on a book right now, drafting a book that kind of touches on the pandemic. So, you know, uh, that time frame. So I think there's, you know, having to weave it into current novels, you know, unless you set them into a different time. I think that's going to be something we'll see quite a bit, too. Well, you know, and personally, I like being locked away in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) It's safer for everyone, Mm. you know. Gotcha. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) Yeah, it's just better to have my dog and be happy. And, yeah, you know. it is. Well, this has been a pleasure. So now the book, Deadly Tides, it's a Misty Pines mystery, and it's book two of two so far. So Mary Kelly Ikoa, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.